0: So today we finish up our sermon series that we've been going through on the Lord's Prayer entitled Praying on Purpose, using the purposes that Jesus instructed us in the Lord's Prayer on how we might pray to foster greater intimacy with God, build community among ourselves within the church, and also to empower our mission that Jesus calls us to live, uh, to reach and equip people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And prayer is... Is the only thing that, uh, only topic that I've written on that's ever been published. And by published, I mean I wrote a recommendation for a book that appeared on a cover. Uh, But the guy that actually wrote the book uh, was a a friend that was a pastor in the area where uh, we lived and ministered. And he uh, came up with this great training tool on prayer. And we used it in our church. And he was getting ready to publish the book and asked if I'd write a recommendation. And so I did. And then we had him into the church for a weekend entreat uh, where he took us through the steps on how to grow in the discipline of prayer. And it was great. Uh, The book was excellent. So then he concluded everything by preaching on Sunday morning. And in his sermon, he was talking about praying in the name of Jesus and how important it is. And in the course of the sermon, he said, you know, we're all supposed to pray in the name of Jesus. And it's something that I noticed that your pastor doesn't do when he prays. So we got together a few days later, and I I asked him about that. I said, you know, what what was that all about? And he said, well, when you pray, you don't always conclude your prayer in the name of Jesus. And I said, well, we pray a couple times a month together. I said, "I, I frequently talk about how we get into God's presence, not on any righteousness of our own, but through the righteousness of Jesus, and pray according to the will and character of Jesus. I said, that's praying in the name of Jesus. He said, yeah, but you need to say the words. And I said, you need to write a new book. Um, And it it sort of goes back to a little bit of of the debate, if you will, about the Lord's Prayer, where some people say that we should recite it word for word every week, especially in, in corporate worship. And there is truth to that. When Jesus gave us the prayer, he said, pray like this. Uh, But it is also a pattern for prayer, and we aren't tied just to the words of the prayer. But use what it teaches us about prayer in order to pray. And we um, are—that comes out especially true as we consider the conclusion to the Lord's prayer this morning in Matthew chapter six, verse thirteen. The way the Lord's prayer concludes is in verse thirteen with this and lead us not into into temptation but deliver us from evil now if you look closely uh, there is a footnote to that verse that directs you to the margin uh, that says that some ancient um that, that some manuscripts include for yours is the power for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen sometimes people can um get a little concerned uh, that when there are footnotes like this in the Bible, that, you know, is the Bible reliable? Is, is it trustworthy? And the answer is resoundingly yes. One of the most attested and verified documents of antiquity is the Bible, uh, where m- the verses are uh, verified by uh, manuscripts from many corners of the known world at the time. And we have more documents of the Bible than we do like of Shakespeare's plays, for instance. And so it is a very reliable document. So you should be confident that when you're reading uh, the translation of the scriptures that you're reading a good translation of the Bible. And it is good for us when there are questions among the translators It's included in the footnotes so that we can uh, research them out and make sure and decide for ourselves whether this is a part of scripture or it is not. Now, many people think that because in the Jewish synagogues, the custom was that at the end of the prayer, they would end prayer with a doxology, which is just an expression of praise to God. And that somebody added this uh, prayer to conclude like that liturgy in in the synagogues. And at some point, it got a part of some of the manuscripts. But the translators think that the best translations don't have it. And so they put it in the footnote. So then it immediately raises the question, well, if that's the case, should we even be preaching on it if it's not actually something that Jesus said? And that goes back to what we said before, that the spirit of what is communicated here in this footnote is certainly biblical. In fact, the prayer itself um, is given in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, in verse 10, Uh, David is praying and he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. And the call to worship that began our service and that we prayed just before um, the sermon also reflect these same concepts. So it is profitable to look at them because it is a prayer contained Within the Bible. But as we mentioned, it's not just that the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that we recite word for word, but it contains direction for us as to how to govern our prayers. And these words are very fitting to that end. So while I am not suggesting that this addition is an improvement to Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer, I am saying that it complements it very well. So what are we to learn from this little doxology. The terms kingdom, power, and glory we've talked about in other sermons through this series. I'm not going to elaborate on them today. I'm going to take a look at the word for and the word amen and see what it is that we can learn from these words about how we should pray. And the first thing that we see is that you are to present biblical reasons for the requests that you offer to God in prayer. Uh, This uh, note begins, for yours is the kingdom. The word for is pointing to purpose or reason. In other words, as Jesus instructed his disciples to to pray for all of the things that uh, he instructed, praying to our Father who is in heaven, um, that his will would be done, his kingdom would come, um his name would be hallowed, that we would have our needs met, that we would be forgiven of our sins as we forgive others, that we would be delivered from evil, all of those things, the reason that they're offered in prayer is for the glory of God, that his kingdom, his power, um, and his rule would be made manifest and spread through over all the earth because he answers these prayers. We have an example of this type of thing in Job in chapter 23, he says, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that is God, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Now, arguing in prayer differs greatly from when we were teenagers and argued with our parents. Um, it is not the idea of being argumentative, but it is it is presenting reasons. It is marshalling reasons together, if you will, as to why we feel God should answer our prayer. Now, we aren't informing God of anything that he doesn't already know. So then why is it that we would do this? In his book, Praying With Your Eyes Open, Richard Pratt offers two reasons. Uh, one is, he says, that sometimes we are so burdened by something that we really don't know exactly how to pray for it. It's so weighty. It's so complex. But when we begin to think about the reasons behind our going to prayer, it can help us to pray with greater um, uh, knowledge and awareness. But he also mentions that sometimes bringing together reasons in our prayers enables us to express the importance and the urgency for which we are praying. So that being the case then, what are some reasons why we would provide reasons for the requests that we offer in prayer? Well, one is that uh, if you look through the book of Psalms, for instance, it's very instructive in this regard, um, that there are three broad reasons that we would offer for our prayer requests. It's not an exhaustive list. It's Just think of it in terms of like broad categories. And the first is, that we would be praying, one of the reasons would reflect that we're praying for God's people. Whether we're praying for an individual or whether we're praying for the group of God's people together. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 64, uh, the prophet is writing about knowing that, that God's people have sinned and they deserve his discipline, his fatherly displeasure. And in that, he is asking the Lord to be merciful in his discipline And he states his reason why. For instance, he says, Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. And here's his reason. Behold, please look, we are your people. So he's appealing to God as a covenant-keeping God, where he has promised to be our God and make us his people as the basis of his request that the Lord would be merciful even as he carries out his discipline upon his children. So, in other words, sometimes when we pray, we can offer as a reason for our request the good of the people of God to the glory of God. In addition to that, we might be offering a reason of prayer for the world. You might remember in the book of Genesis when Abraham was visited by the travelers and they were telling him of the plans that Sodom and Gomorrah would be destroyed. Um, Abraham reasons and praise that they would not destroy the entire city because there may be some righteous people in the city. And we read in Genesis 18, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. So he is appealing to God's justice and his working in the world as a means by which his prayer would be heard. And then finally, uh, another broad reason that we would offer in prayer is that it would promote the glory and the honor of God. And that is what this conclusion points to, does it not? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, that God would be pleased to answer all the petitions that are mentioned so that he might be, his fame might grow in all the world. And sometimes our reasons may involve more and one, one or more of these things, or even some things outside of them that don't fit neatly into these categories. Now, sometimes um, it, we, we can offer improper reasons that God would answer our prayer. Uh, for instance, we might think of somebody that's going through a particular hard time and crisis who's been a very faithful servant in the church, and we, we pray and ask God that, that he would help them in whatever the crisis is because they've been such a good servant. Now, the idea behind that is somewhat along the lines of that they've done sufficient good works that they deserve to be blessed by God. And that's not the idea uh, behind why we should pray. Our, our righteousness comes from Christ. God blesses us through Christ. Now, the idea in that prayer, of course, is valid. That we love this person, that we love what they have meant to us and the and the community of faith, and therefore, because we love them, we ask the God, we ask the Lord to help them. That, of course, is very valid and correct. Sometimes, um, people can like if you read the Old Testament, it, it may appear as though um, they are reminding God of something he is he is forgotten. Uh, they, they may feel as though that they've been under the Lord's disciplining hand. And he says, uh, and the writers may say, oh, Lord, how long will you forget us? Well, th- that is hyperbolic language. That, that's uh, reasonable exaggeration, if you will. It's not that God has actually forgotten them, but it appears based upon their circumstances that's the case. Now, sometimes people can take that as an example and think that God has genuinely forgotten them, which is not so. Nor do we present reasons for our requests because God is reluctant to give. I remember hearing on the radio many years ago a sermon where the the pastor was encouraging people to bombard the bastions of heaven with our prayer. I don't know what all that is, but I do know that the bottom line was that they felt that we needed to offer a lot of prayers for God to answer us because he's reluctant to give. Jesus taught us in this prayer to go to God as our Father, who delights in giving us as his children good gifts. Now, all of that being said, even when we offer to the Lord prayers in keeping with Scripture, when we present to him biblical reasons for our requests, that's no guarantee that God is going to answer our prayer in the way in which we like We have to follow the example of Jesus here when he prayed in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. Uh, Many years ago, there was, um, in in the church that I pastored at the time, there was a a woman who had been one of the founding members of the church. She was part of the core group from which this church began. Very godly, wonderful servant. She had served in this church for nearly 40-some years up to this point. And she, along with uh, the the families that started the church, when the church building was being built, they put up their homes as collateral for the mortgage. That's how invested and sacrificial they were into this ministry. And she was just a godly, delightful lady. And she was traveling to northern New Jersey uh, to spend Thanksgiving with her family. And her nephew picked her up, drove back to northern New Jersey. She gets out of the car, and she makes it to the top step in the, in the garage to enter the house, and she has a massive stroke, and she falls over backwards and smacks her head on the concrete, rushed to the intensive care unit. And our church was meeting that night for worship. We had a, a Thanksgiving Eve service, and a bunch of us gra- gathered beforehand, and we prayed, and we pled with the Lord and that God would spare her and restore her from her bed of illness. Thanksgiving morning, an elder and I drove to northern New Jersey to visit her, anoint her with oil, pray over her. And when we walked in the door, um, as we got home, Connie greeted us with saying that the family just called and she died. We don't always get prayers answered the way that we think they should be answered. But God, in his wisdom and his goodness and his power, orders affairs accordingly. And I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that that woman desired very much to be at home with her Savior. And she was granted her prayer, and she was healed completely when the Lord took her into his presence. But it is important when we pray, not just to fire off request after request, those are valid, but at times to think, to gather our thoughts, and to present biblical reasons for our prayer. But in addition to that, we learn from uh, this this statement that you we're, we're to mean what we say when we pray. Um, when we we pray these words, like we did earlier in the service, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We conclude the prayer with the word "Amen." Now, what does "Amen" mean? Well, it comes from a Hebrew word, the the root of which means that we are testing that what we have said is true, it is firm, it is solid, it is certain. So we are saying with conviction that what we have just uttered is our request before Almighty God. It expresses an emphatic yes. It is a declaration. That's the truth. Now some have said that amen is the expression, if you will, may it be so. However, the word is much stronger than that. It's not just wishful thinking. To say amen at the end of our prayer is our final profession that we've meant what we've said. And the reason that is important is to remember the context in which Jesus is speaking these words to the disciples. Just before this passage, he is talking about a prayer that is not pleasing to the Lord. He points to the Pharisees as an example. And he says that the Pharisees like to pray in public, whether it's on the street corner or uh, at the temple, and they pray loud and they say fancy words so that other people will think, wow, isn't that a godly person? And Jesus says that is a selfish kind of prayer, and they have received their reward for such prayer. You know, it's, it's a temptation at times, for instance, like when we're praying in a group, we can be... Praying for the benefit of the other people more than we are praying for God might be a a modern-day kind of example of that. But in addition to that, Jesus is also speaking to um, the the Gentiles, uh, the people of pagan religions, if you will, who used prayer sort of as a um, mechanism, a formula that they would just repeat the same phrase again and again, and they would say the same thing time after time, and they felt that by doing so, that they were able to manipulate the gods to get whatever it was that they were wanting. And Jesus said, no, neither type of prayer is valid. You should not be praying to attract attention to yourself. You mustn't be praying detached from God as some kind of mechanical interaction. He's your father. Pray to him as such in relationship with him. And at the conclusion of your prayer, you should be able to say, Amen. J.C. Ryle was a, a very famous pastor in England. And he provided this comment about the Lord's Prayer. It's a little bit longer of a statement, so I've put it up on the slides for you. And he says this, Now let us examine ourselves and see whether we really desire to have the things which we are taught to ask for in the Lord's Prayer. Hundreds repeat these words weekly as a form, but never consider what they are saying. They care nothing for the reverence of God's name, the coming of the kingdom of God, or God's will being done in their lives. Yet they piously repeat the Lord's Prayer. They have no sense of daily dependence on God, no sense of personal sinfulness, no effort to cover over the sins of others so their sins can be forgiven them. No concern about the sins which so easily entangle them, yet they repeat the Lord's prayer. These things, (coughs) excuse me, ought not be. May we resolve that by God's help our hearts shall go together with our lips. Happy is the one who can really call God his Father through Jesus Christ his Savior, and therefore say a heartfelt amen to all that this model prayer contains. Now, it can be easy when we pray, if you're anything like me, that your mind can drift, and your mind can wander, and sometimes... Um, you're, you're praying because you know you need to pray and you should pray, and your heart's not necessarily engaged in what you're praying the way you should be engaged. Now, we can be tempted after le- reading a statement like uh, J.C. Ryle's to think, well, really, the solution then is I just shouldn't pray. And that's not the case at all. But rather, we acknowledge to the Lord our deficiency, ask him to forgive us for it, And we seek his help so that we can pray with hearts and minds engaged in what we're saying so that we might be able to resound amen at the conclusion of our prayer. So as we've been going through this series of prayer, we've been stating that our, our purpose in doing so is not just to inform ourselves how to pray, but to induce us to pray. And as we've gone through, we've talked about each week a a potential way to grow in prayer that week based upon something that we learned in the service. We've called it our prayer potential. And this week, perhaps our our prayer potential would be, and this is just an example. You, You make your own, and I've encouraged you to write it down. But as an example, we could say that one of the things that we learned from this is that when I pray this week, I will build my requests on biblical principles and be motivated to pray by God's kingdom, power, and glory. And so we have talked about how prayer is not only to build our intimacy with the Lord and community with each other, but it is uh, to help us, to empower us for mission. And we have had this graph on the screen. You might be glad this series is ending so you don't have to see it anymore. Uh, Don't worry, I'll figure out a way to work it in the next series somehow. Uh, But we, we see ourselves as called by God to live on mission where we see all the different places in our daily, weekly routines where the Lord takes us, Uh, whether it's uh, interactions in our home, at work, in the community, in the neighborhood, uh, where we engage in commerce, whatever. And we identified people in all of those areas that we have regular interaction with, and we picked three out of that bunch that we were going to pray for on a regular basis so that we could see how we could use the Lord's Prayer to pray for those individuals and pray that the Lord would give us opportunity and boldness where we might be able to help them, where we might be able to love them and help them to grow closer to Jesus or his people. And so maybe as an example of that for this week, you could say, when I pray this week, I'll ask the Lord to turn the hearts of those three people to truly seek him through Christ. And we also mentioned developing a prayer vision which very simply is this. Taking a look at where we are in prayer right now. How are we doing in developing our intimacy with God or building community or empowering mission through prayer? And how are we doing right now? And where would we like to be 12 months from now? And thinking of ways that we would like to grow and improve in prayer. Don't don't pick the whole enchilada. Just pick a couple uh, basic things that you would like to work on and say and commit to God that within a year, I would like to grow in prayer along these ways. Well, we prepared a prayer vision worksheet, if you will, if you wanted to go through that exercise, and I encourage you to do so. Um, Luke's provided a QR code, if you didn't get the weekly update, where you can access that document and you can do so. And I encourage you to be thinking, how is it that I can ask the Lord, help me to grow in prayer within the next year?